0: In this season of dialogues with creators, my goal has been to push the boundaries of what we think of as creativity and being creative. That's why we've had a wide variety of guests. We often say here that creativity shows up in unexpected places. In this last podcast of the spring 2023 season, I would like to introduce you to a person who used her creativity to make the life of her family better in an unexpected way. Stay tuned. Welcome to this episode of Dialogues with Creators. Our guest today is Susanna Mansi, who lives in Ringgold, Georgia. I met Susanna in late March at a function at the college where I teach and where her son, Samuel, attends. We engaged in conversation, and I got excited about Susanna's story. Susanna, welcome to this podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Uh, Susanna, I'd like you to tell us about Samuel's early life. Well,
1: we were blessed with Samuel uh, almost 20 years ago. And we expected him to be born a September child. However, um, Samuel never follows the rules, <laughs> or he does, but it's always um, go with the flow with Samuel, as we call it. He was born five weeks early. He was premature, um, unexpected, had no reason to believe he was gonna come early at all. And from that, it just kept going. Um, we were a military family at the time, active duty. And he was born in Kansas. And from there, we left to go to North Carolina. And it was during uh, war times that were happening. And in 2004, my husband had to take his first deployment. So while Samuel was 10 months old, his father had to leave to go overseas. And it was going to be up to a 15-month deployment somewhere in there. You know, it's always a, a given date, but never definite. In the meantime, I started raising Samuel, um, like most military spouses do while their spouses are gone. Um, everything, the milestones seemed to be fine and everything went along. Um, but I kept noticing as Samuel started getting older, I decided to put him in daycare because I wanted him to have social skills because um, he was my only biological child. And I felt it was important to have other children to be around him and him to learn different things. I was also trying to finish school myself and working on my degree. Um, put him in daycare. And as time went on, I started seeing milestones changing. And I wasn't quite sure the behaviors. Samuel started uh, being very active. And when I say active, he just he. Would stay so busy. He was an extremely busy child. He was all over the place and didn't pay attention to things. And then I started wondering other things where he was. Um, I called it like a sack of potatoes. When I would hold him as a baby, he wouldn't. He wouldn't hold on to me. He would just let go, like he had no concept that he could, you know, fall. Or most children will cling onto you. Um, I noticed that in the very beginning. Didn't think much about it. So as time went on. I started putting things together and and I do that now, whereas I didn't do then because I know what I know at the moment. Mm -hmm. So I started asking and people started saying things about him being so active and he was so young and about 15 months. I started noticing a few things. Couldn't hop at my finger on it. So I started asking his pediatrician, what do you think? Do you see anything different? And she just told me he was a boy, you know, boys are busy. Um, didn't think much about it. Well, I had noticed a flyer on post where they had a developmental screening. And so I thought, well, you know what, it's going to hurt to take him to do this. Um, there were a couple other things. When I took break during school, I'd go by and watch him on the playground. Other children would run out to go. By the time, it, he, he didn't start walking until it was, it was after 15 months. It took a little while. He was always um, clumsy. that's the word clumsy. You really fell all the time. Um, And he wasn't speaking. He was making little noises and he would hum. And I know his T would spin. He would do a lot of spinning activities and he would do repetitious kind of things We're on the playground when I was watching. The other children would run to tricycles and all different playground equipment. Samuel would go to a spot where there was sand and he would take a cup and he would just dump it over and over. Uh, continuously and I didn't know what I was seeing at the time I just thought well maybe he enjoys sand but he wasn't building anything there wasn't you know there was no concept to it and then I thought well I'll buy him one of the little big wheels that they had on the playground at home and start trying to teach him as I showed him different things to play with I noticed he would flip the he wouldn't ride the big wheel he flipped it over and he would just spin the wheel and that's all he wanted to do. He didn't want to do anything else with it. So I just, I didn't know what I was seeing. So again, like I said, the developmental screening, I took him. Um, they did several things, just took him through little, you know, at two years old, what, you know, what kind of test do you do? Uh, and yeah. there's no blood test for anything. And I wasn't quite sure what I was even taking him for, just seeing if he was meeting the proper milestones. And because of the speech, I wasn't quite sure what was going on with that. Um, but when we got there and I left, they said, Oh, things look good. Looks fine. Well, when I got home at the time, I didn't think much about it, but years later, I did. There was a pamphlet in my bag that described autism. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, did I get that or did everybody get that pamphlet? I wasn't quite sure. And so I didn't really pay attention at the time. So traveling forward, um, My husband was still deployed. I had just started getting my, I finished my degree and I just got my new job. I was working for employment readiness services for the military and um, Samuel was still at daycare. And I kept noticing the same things again as he kept progressing. He just wasn't, motor skills just weren't coming together. Um, He couldn't hold cups. He couldn't, there were certain fine motor skills. He just wasn't acquiring um, and again, he would sit and do repetitious things where he'd just spin. And then I started noticing um again, I started wondering his speech. So I finally took him to a speech therapist just to kind of get him evaluated. And um, what had happened was he'd had several ear infections that we had dealt with. And that was what I had been told again by pediatricians, oh, this happens to kids. They have ear infections, and so you might have to get tubes. So as time went on, we wound up getting two sets of tubes for Samuel for his ears. And then from that point, they told me, basically, put your head under water. That's how he's hearing things, and that's why he's not speaking um, the proper speeches that he should be speaking. So at that point, we had to go through speech therapy. Well, as I was sitting there, the speech therapist said, "Um, I'm not supposed to tell you this. However, I'm going to give you some ideas about um, what to do for his activity of how busy he is. And so she told me to buy a little timer for cooking. And she said, set it for his age and see if you can get him a little table and set him down at the table and set that timer and try to see if he can do an activity for just that amount of time. So we started two years old, and I'm setting the timer, and my child couldn't even sit at the table. He couldn't sit still long enough. Wow. Um, so we started working on puzzles and different things that I could come up with, Play Doh, you know, something to keep him interested at the table. I was trying to find things. Um, Play Doh was good as long as he didn't freak out. I, I probably should. Be, I don't know. He would, he would, uh, and sensory issues started becoming an issue, which I didn't, I wasn't aware of certain turns and certain things at the time. Um, But sensory become an issue because he didn't like the touch and feel of that on his fingers. He wanted to play with it, but when he got it on it and touched it, it just, he wouldn't know what to do with it. So I tried different things. uh whipped cream, you know, play doh, just trying to be creative with different things, puzzles, um, So little by little, he started working with puzzles and putting them and touching them together, not necessarily doing what he should do with them. But as time went on, it just took a lot of patience sitting there with him and doing that. So this was also we were lucky enough that because we lived on post, we were at Fort Bragg. I was able to get him in a daycare system on the military post. The daycares there on military post are not like your average daycares. they didn't have televisions. They don't show them little cartoons all day long. They work with these children to constantly teach them social skills and activities. So they taught them how to set little plates on at lunch term and pour drinks and, you know, different things that they don't. I don't because when I, I didn't realize that that was different when I came here to do daycare in Georgia, because they have televisions in the daycare, I, I had no idea. I don't know do um, They that. Right. So there was a lot of different changes, but the daycare was actually, we were very blessed because of the fact that the daycare was what it was because they worked with the children. Mm-hmm. And so we had that going on at daycare. And he also had my attention, my full attention at home. So as time progressed, I kept... I kept saying, I just don't know what I'm seeing. You know, there's something just not going on. And we go on the playground and he couldn't hold on to the playground equipment. He just didn't know what to do with it. So finally, I just told my husband uh, we were on our second deployment by that time now, um, because that was before psychologically they thought, you know, there wouldn't be any harm done to soldiers if we do it twice, right, in a row. (laughs) So my husband home for a short term and then he had to redeploy. And by that time, I had my job and tried to, you know, hold down the fort, as they say. Can I ask, uh, where was he deployed to? Um, He was to Iraq and um, Afghanistan. Both, okay. And then Kuwait. So I don't know if I've got them in the right order, but I know there were three all in a row. Um, And were you able to talk to him frequently, like every
0: day, or was it more spaced out than that?
1: It was faced out. By that time, um, we're talking 2005. Um, smartphones had just started, possibly you know cell phone usage was happening, but mostly we got to use Yahoo Messenger. And so texting was a big deal for us or emails was the huge part. And every now and then we got to do a little messenger um, video and they were very nothing like what we have today. And so I also, because we were a military family, um, I did not, my, my husband is an officer or was while he was in the service. It, um, I didn't want to, he had enough concerns on his shoulders with his, his men that he had to, you know, take care of in situations there. My husband's a military intelligence officer. So there's quite a bit of stress, um, and I didn't want to add to something. I didn't quite know what I was seeing. So I didn't really discuss those things with him. And <laughs> not that I didn't think he was worthy of knowing about it, but I just, I felt that, you know, one, I didn't know what I was seeing. Mm-hmm. And the other thing, and when I did bring up things to the pediatrician, she just, again, kept telling me he was just a little, you know, he was just a boy. He was all boy, mm-hmm. but there was just something I couldn't quite put my finger on. And, um, you know, that surprises
0: me at that point, though, because that they were maybe that they were your pediatrician and others were trying not to alarm you. But it seems like Samuel by then was two and a half. He
1: was. Yes. <laughs> it, they <laughs> they're would a little more concerned. We you know we were, we were not close to like- three at that time. I'm um, oh, sorry. Between that stage and, and especially at three years old. But because they had the tubes and the speech. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they they didn't really <laughs> put that together with the speech, but he had a um, he did what what people call now it's called echolalia. almost is what he would hear a tune and he would repeat that tune, but he would repeat it over and over and over. He would pick uh-huh. it up and he can almost hear any, he can almost hear any song today and he can repeat it automatically. Mm-hmm. He knows that and he, he he's wonderful about it and he has an amazing rote memory. Um, so terms have come to me to understand what is what now over the years, whereas at the beginning of this, you know, his life, I had no idea what I was even, because at the time the term autism gave a different picture in my mind. Um, so that wasn't even on, on my thoughts. Um, at the time I did believe he had ADHD. Um, however, I wasn't going to diagnose that, obviously, because that's not my job. I mean, I can notice things, but I would have to have someone help me, you know, on on the medical level. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't quite sure I wanted to because at the time there's such a stigma to the whole ADHD factor because people say, oh, there's too many people diagnosing their children. You know, they're just wanting to put them on medication. And, you know, so there was a stigma to that. So you just don't want to go into that quickly. So um, about the time Samuel turned four, like I said, we had done several. It was by the third deployment and the military will not move you or spouse or help you with anything until you get orders. Well, because my husband was deployed, he didn't have orders to move anywhere. So I couldn't have them help me financially to move. But by that time, I called my parents here in Georgia and I said, I don't know what I'm seeing but there's something different. Um, and my mother said she worked at Erlanger here in Chattanooga. And she said, well, you know what? She said, why don't you come on? Um, why don't you come home? Why don't you just come here until, you know, your husband comes home? And I said, well, I don't have the financial means. And and she said, well, well you can live here. We have plenty of room. You know, come on. There's no reason for you to stay there another year by yourself. And if you're really needing help, we're here. We've got a support system for you. And I had a support system there as well, but it's it's still not it's it's not immediate family. You know, you make friends over the years, but they're not they don't have that um, vested interest in your children like like your family does or most families. So by that time, I told my husband, I said, you know, hey, I said, I just don't know what to tell you other than I'm not leaving you. (laughs) But I'm going home. And I said, we will we'll figure this out once you get back, you know, because by that time, my husband had almost put in 20 years and he was already talking about considering getting out. And so we started discussing that and I said, we'll just figure it out once you get home and we'll start talking about it. But I said, I don't want you to think, you know, because he and I had both had divorces. And so that also puts a a bad thought in your mind when now your current spouse is saying, I want to (laughs) leave. Mm -hmm. Uh, The divorce rate in the military, especially among officers, is uh, an unbelievable number. I mean, it's it's really. Mm -hmm. And then with the the constant deployments at the time, it it just didn't help. Right. My husband's family
0: was a military family. And I it always just (sighs) bothered me at the lack of support. It seemed to me. And
1: well, and my husband being an officer. At the time, they did not have hired individuals for the position, but they called us the Family um, Readiness Support Group. Mm-hmm. And usually the officer spouses took on that um, responsibility, which I did. Uh, my husband was in command at the time. And so I had another um, woman that I absolutely adored in She, Her husband was over my husband and she and I took care of that. So we were also at the time through all of this, helping other spouses voluntarily, um, and doing our lives. And there mm-hmm. were a lot of situations. I mean, more than I can explain sometimes, and people wouldn't even believe how that at all. Mm-hmm. Now they have, now they, ha- well, it's called family support group at the time. So They've changed it. The military always tends to change the names to to make it sound yeah. <laughs> and use lots of acronyms, too. Yes. And and that came that came very helpful later down the road, believe it or not. Um, but uh, and I was, you know, so we went from the family uh, support group to after they figured, you know, there was a lot of changes that took place after all of those several deployments for soldiers. They finally hired an individual for that position, a paid position, and they changed the name to family support group, um, or family readiness group. I apologize. And, um, so, you know, that was, it, it's a lot to take on when you're not just only taking care of your family, but you're also trying to help other, um, deployed spouses mm-hmm. and so forth and their children and their situations. And, um, you're also having, while well, we lived on post, and so it was a common to, Watch the routine of cars to pull up to a house to go tell a spouse that a, a loved one had been lost, mm-hmm. had, had lost their lives. And so you always dreaded that drive through the neighborhood if you saw the, the particular vehicles oh my uh, and prayed that they weren't coming into your home. I mean, it's almost like the TV show. They call it RBY. You know, it, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, it's a whole nother world. Uh-huh. Um, but it was one we chose. I, I don't want it to sound... Like, it wasn't something we were all, you know, we didn't hit because we did. We both chose that. Um, But moving forward, I chose to move back here because I just logically in my mind, it sounded better. And I was ready for my I was ready for my mom and dad. (laughs) I've been gone for years. I I actually left home at 19 and Mm -hmm. uh, joined the military myself and had my own experiences. And by that time. I was okay. I was humble enough to say, yeah, the, I, you know, I need help. I need my parents. And, um, so, and you, is, this is the army, the ranch. Yes, ma'am. The army. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I moved home with Samuel. He was about four years old at the time. He was, he was four. Mm-hmm. And that's an interesting change too, because Samuel's still going through all of these different interesting, you know, behaviors and, um, busyness. And so now my parents are, you know, they're, they're older, and not um, you know, they hadn't had little ones in the house much. And so we wound up living upstairs and, um, and you're, you know, now you're going through the whole where I'm the parent, but my mom and dad were in the same house. And so my mom and dad want to also be the parents <laughs> mm-hmm. So you're trying to go through that. Well, Daniel was a little unruly. I mean, it wasn't that I didn't want him to mind. But he just got into everything, and he was all over the place, and um, so I would constantly try to stay away and find activities for us to do. And in the meantime, the plan was because Samuel was four, I was going to get him in another pre-K, and I would go back to work. Well, it just didn't keep working that way, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know. And as time went on, then my husband finally said, "Okay, I'm, uh, you know, I'm I'm ready to put in my paperwork to retire." And I said, okay. so what's the last, you know, go around? He said, I actually have an opportunity to work at Fort McPherson in Atlanta. He said, so he said, why don't we consider, you know, what we're going to do from this point? So we got a he got stationed at Fort McPherson. We got an apartment down in Atlanta and I started looking for a house here because we thought, well, we'll settle in Reno and at that point it just happened to work out fine there was a, a house that came up for sale in 2008 the whole housing market had gone crazy and um you know plenty of houses to pick from it was a buyer's market so I found a home and it was where I wanted schools I wanted so we went ahead and bought the house well now the problem was Mike wasn't still out of the military <laughs> <laughs> so he stayed what they call um it's a, a bachelor Oh, there's a term for it. But um, so he he became a bachelor down in Atlanta while we were here. And so we would travel back and forth on the weekends to see each other and mm-hmm. still having all this order with Samuel. Um, so finally, I got him into daycare and they had a pre-K program. And so I had him in there. Well, he just didn't quite fit in. And again, the daycares here are quite different than what he had come from. And it was there was no it's like there's no structure. Well. <laughs> <There's, laughs> So oh, in yeah. the military daycare, there was structure. The daycare's here. It's like, they, they, every, anything goes. <laughs> um, so by that time, he was starting to figure out social skills. And the kids were just doing something go on the playground. And nobody, they'd just go free flow. You know, it'd just be whatever. And so st- stuff started happening on the playground. Activities just started being strange. And single would come home all the time. And there would always be something happening. And so I was I just didn't know. So I never went back to work at that point. And I kept trying to keep my hands up. So I finally got him into it, starting kindergarten, started fifth grade by that time. I mean, five years old by that time. And was, was, he, my talking? It, was he talking at this point? that time, I had done three years of speech. And he was. Um, so by the time he was four, I had, he was doing pretty well. Um, he still had words that he couldn't pronounce, you know, properly. But that was also at that point in life. You don't know if it's and some kids just, just don't pick up as well as some other. So I wasn't too too nervous at that point. it um, didn't really, you know, no red flag at that point for me. Um, so it was like s's and r's and. Right. certain things like that, but did it become more of a pragmatic thing? <laughs> and I I didn't understand what pragmatics were until I got introduced to all of the autism world. It was where he literally, when you would say something, and again, at such a young age, they're still trying to figure out what your speech is. Um, mm-hmm. So say, for instance, you say it's raining cats and dogs. <laughs> then I literally look for cats and dogs and don't understand why you say that. Yeah. Um, at four years old, that could be most children. Uh huh.
0: So, yeah, now, I didn't yeah. worry about that. I was teaching English to second language uh, adults, and they were from uh, the Sudan and from the Middle East. And I we were doing idioms, and I told them that one. They thought that was so funny. <laughs> <laughs> I said, What does that mean? Right, right. And even well, adults
1: <laughs> <laughs> learning English. Exactly. And, and you know, Being a military family, we had the opportunity of being exposed to, you know, my husband and I to different um, religions and cultures and languages and, you know, different things that we've had to learn as well. That you know, Americans think everybody's American all over the place, I think. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But I remember one time being on the back porch when we first moved back. My mother made a comment and um, told Samuel, you know, can you. What was it? It was, uh, can you pick that up or can you go over yonder and pick that up? And Sanel tilted his head and he said, Nana, what's a yonder? You know he's still trying to. And so at the time I didn't know if it was just him trying to pick up what the, you know, I this again. It was no red flag. Um, so fast forwarding, I got him into kindergarten. I was so excited because I'm thinking this is the, you know, he's gonna get to start and I'm gonna get to go back to work. Wasn't do with my child, but I also had worked very hard for my degree and I was looking forward to moving forward with some of the things I had planned mm-hmm. um, for me. Well, as he got it well, it took him into kindergarten again, like I said, he was he was planned to be born at the end of September, but he came mm-hmm. at the end of August. So when the school systems fall on the times for kids to go to school, there's also certain dates that they look at for their ages. And yeah. so we went in and I went to meet his kindergarten teacher without him. It was a day for the parents to go in. And, and she had met me and she looked at the date of his birthday and his gender. And she said, I'm going to tell you right away. I recommend you wait a year. And I said, well, you've never met my child. How do you know that? <laughs> and she said, statistically, boys do better because they mature but it takes them a little longer to mature. Um and she said, I'm just telling you my recommendations for and she had she had been a teacher for uh over 20 15 years. Um, you know, she was well established. Um I wished I had appreciated her earlier in life. I wish I knew now what I didn't know then kind of thing. Um but uh so I I said, well, how about this? How about we let him try a couple of, you know, a week or so? How long can he try and just see what you think? And I said, I'm willing to, you know, consider what you've told me. I said, but he's done pre-K twice. I said, he's an intelligent young man. I said, not because he's just mine, but I see certain things. I said, he knows his, you know, he knew his alphabet. He knew his numbers. I mean, you know, because he's one thing about being an only child mostly is you get to give that attention. And I did. I read to him I constantly read books. I constantly, you know, we played Most of the time I could place uh, things in the bathtub with him. That was the only time I could do (laughs) work. Mostly was in the bathtub because I could keep him in one spot and keep him occupied. So the bathtub was the hugest part of his life for activities and learning. Um, But uh, so she said, well, I think it was a week. Uh, maybe a week or two they could give him. And um so he came and so at the end of the time frame, I said, Well what do you think now? She said, I still think what I've told you. I think it, it would do him best. And said, so I said, okay. I said, I'll wait a year. So I took him and put him back in pre K mm-hmm. and um letting be able to interact with other children. In the meantime, he went back to kindergarten the next year and there were just things she noticed and she wasn't um, shy about telling me. And I truly appreciate her because at the time. I I didn't understand what she was trying to tell me, um, but she said, I think you should have him you know, evaluated, maybe take a look and see him out. You know, and, and teachers ha- have that fine line where they can't say certain things. And I didn't realize that at the time. So eventually moving forward, by the time of end of kindergarten, I had him evaluated for ADHD. And so I took him to a psychologist, a child psychologist to have him evaluated. And he said, oh, yeah, he's, you know, came back. He definitely has ADHD. He said, however, I see a mild form of Asperger's. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And that was never I've never even heard of that. I'd never even heard what Asperger's was. Um, I said, you know, and I hate to even admit this is how I responded. But I said, ask what? (laughs) You know, I, I've never heard of it. Um, he said, "Well, it's a form of autism." And I'm looking at this psychiatrist. Now, I'm thinking, my well, son doesn't have autism, ADHD, yes, but autism. Um, so I was already trying to digest the whole ADHD, which I really knew in the back of my mind was there, um, but didn't quite know what to do, and didn't think he was. Old enough to even consider it at the point. But by five years old and now we're at the six years old because I waited the year. Um, I could definitely see he just he was just wild <laughs> he was everywhere. And now I started seeing other things that he wasn't picking up because I started also helping with like room mom. And what really helped me was seeing him in comparison with the other children yeah that's when it really started i started noticing i thought wow why is he not doing those things so again i go back to those years where i saw him on the playground you know and i'm trying to put all these things together and now i'm looking up asperger's and what is this and what do we do and where do we go and you know so i'm i'm you know looking at everything i could possibly get my hands on and then my mother again when i mentioned she worked at erlanger she said hey um there's a Siskins, Siskins Children's Institute, and they've got a new developmental specialist that came to town. What about getting a second opinion? Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize how um, rare a developmental specialist is even able to find one in like 500. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. And here we have one in Chattanooga just come. <laughs> mm-hmm. So... um After we had gotten the diagnosis of the ADHD and the possible Asperger's, I had to now go through the school system. We were we're in the process of learning what an IEP is and, you know, the whole process of starting all of that and where he falls. And so we also got into Siskins. And so we got the medical diagnosis and everything came back. And that's a long process. I mean, it's. Again, it's not a blood test. <laughs> yeah. You have to go through everything. And now, you know, and you have a, a six, seven year old child trying to do all of this. And with ADHD on top of it. Mm-hmm. And it, it came back. Um, we received uh, Dr. Regina Gargas was our developmental specialist. And mm-hmm. she diagnosed him. Um, she said, this is not Asperger's. So she said, this is high functioning autism. Um. So the terms changed also because. um And if you're familiar with uh, what they call a DSM, at the time, it was a DSM-4. And in 2013, I believe we changed over to a (laughs) Mm DSM-5. So based on all the criteria, the diagnoses and so forth, we've changed terms. Um, So. And Samuel, the way he is about certain things, his is mostly social and his communicative skills. But when he was younger, it was also his. Uh, coordination skills, um, his fine motor skills. Mm -hmm. And so once we tried to start understanding where we were and what were the terms and how, how they worked and and what it was and what we did, (laughs) um, Siskins was wonderful. They, they had everything. It was a one-stop shop. And so Dr. Gargis said, this is what we're going to do. And she gave me a plan of attack uh, per se. And from that point I learned all kinds of therapies that I had no idea um, so this was our earlier invention, And by the time Samuel was seven, he was officially diagnosed with ADHD and autism spectrum disorder, is what it's called now.
0: It's yeah. not right. Mm-hmm.
1: By the age of seven. Um, so I, that's long winded for me to tell you all of this. <laughs> you no, know, that's what I wanted you to
0: talk to us about because I think your journey is, is going to touch a lot of people. And that's one reason I wanted you on here. And um, I remember you said when we talked to him in March that when he was diagnosed, they said they didn't give you a good prognosis, a good long-term. Oh, study.
1: no. Um, and, and as much as I loved, I love Dr. Barr. She was wonderful. And um, because she was so on key about everything and she knew what she was talking about, one of the things she did set me down. Um, and in the conference, we were speaking about things. She said, I need to let you know. Um you should prepare yourself to know that it may wind up being that he may have to receive health the rest of his life. He may not be able to live on his own. He may not be able to do um, and be functional in society. Um, like some other children will wind up being, she said, you need to prepare yourself. And so what happens at a young age, when they're diagnosed, you don't know what's going to happen at that point. So many things can happen Um From the way it goes, they can actually start a point where they regress, and you don't know if that's going to happen till it happens. Mm -hmm. Um, So they can be hitting all the milestones and moving forward. And then some children wind up in a situation that for some reason, the neurological aspects of their brain regress. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And so they can, and it can happen in no time. I mean, there's no explanation of why. And then there's also a point where, um, children will wind up having seizures. Um, so you, you look to find out whether or not your child's going to wind up in, in a situation where they're going to have seizures from this situation. Mm-hmm. And you don't know. Uh, it's just truly random, R- really random. Mm-hmm. And, um, I'd like to jump in here too, because, um,
0: My uh, I have a brother, he's 56 now, and um, some people know this about me. He lives he lives in a group home with Orange Grove and he has very severe um, autism spectrum disorder. But of course, this was he was born in 1966 and and people didn't know anything much about it. There had there had been, um, you know, talk. There'd been research about it, but it wasn't common and you know so early on he was he seemed to be fine till he was two but he didn't talk and it's like you say it was that he got he was fine he walked he was coordinated he's still coordinated but he got to a apart and he just stopped and didn't go on and so intellectually now he's about two years old you know he's big and he knows me and I go visit him and everything but he just he, he just stopped in a sense, but he he has very severe autism as well. And um, it's interesting that you, you bring that up. Um, and I just want to jump in here and say, in case anybody's wondering because I want to, I don't want to have a spoiler alert here, but the whole reason I know Susanna and the reason I'm talking is that whatever was told her when Sammy was seven, and, and, and nothing against the professional, but oh, no no testimony to Susanna's work and her husband's work with Samuel. Uh, Samuel's in college. And the reason that I met her was that I had asked Samuel uh, to come speak about our film program with some visiting students. It was a day for Latino students to come, high school kids. And so I was supposed to find some students to come. And I thought, oh, Samuel's really enthusiastic. About being in this program, this film program we have at, with the Georgia Film Academy. And he's he's so he's such a good student. And I had no clue that he was ever diagnosed or on the spectrum. I just thought he liked film. <laughs> and so and so he had taken public speaking the semester before from one of our other podcast interviewers, Mr. Dry. And he came in and he blew it away with his speech. It was so, I know he worked hard on it. And I was, you know, okay. Usually people on the spectrum don't have good public speaking skills. And he he blew it away. He was interacting with the young people. They were playing games. They were doing all kinds of things. So you remember that day. So uh, I know you were very proud of him that day.
1: I appreciate you allowing me to sit in and watch.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um,
1: and that's part, of, that's part of some of the Samuel's life that uh, people don't understand. I, I chose, after we found out the things with Samuel, and ag- again, this was, you know, his doctors had told us the worst case outcome that could happen. And I, I really appreciate that they prepared us for that because I think it actually was why... I, I said, "Well, oh, we just can't, you know, we can't mess around. We have to do what we have to do, you know? And it's a pyramid of emotions where you go through, well, what happened? What did I do? How did I cause this? Well, well not, you know, you you go through a, a period of that where you question how in the world did this happen? Um, then you get to a certain point where you say, okay, doesn't matter how it happened. Now what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. And that's where we got And And I say we, because my husband, if it wasn't for my husband, um, I wouldn't be able to do the things I'm doing too. He's extremely supportive. He loves his family. Um, He's always been there 100%. When I get these crazy harebrained ideas, he's usually behind me 100%. And so I went to him and I said, "Um, you know, I'm not trying to get out of work because believe me, I've been trying to find a way to go back. (laughs) But um, I do believe after I started getting Samuel involved in therapy, the problem um, or the challenge, I would rather say there were so many therapies for early intervention and you could only get them certain days and certain times. Right. Mm-hmm. So you had and if you were working and you had to meet that schedule with everything. It was it, it was so challenging to do. And I finally just told my husband, I said, if we're going to really, really do this, um, I, I would like you know, if you're on board that I just stay home now. I said, and this be my job, this singles my job. And he said, oh, absolutely. He said, let's, let's do it. And we wound up also because my husband was looking at retiring. There was only certain services for active duty soldiers that we would receive for insurance. So, you know, now we've got a whole other world added to us that, you know, we're looking at insurance and trying to figure out how do we handle this with money and financially and, you know, just rough our minds around it, even trying to understand what what world we're even going into now. So while we're at Siskins, we're seeing all these different levels of children. You know, I'm noticing now a world my eyes had, you know, it was a bittersweet moment. Um, and, it, and it happened over a time, a period, obviously, not instantaneously, but. As I began to go to the therapies and meeting the other parents and meeting the other children, because we're constantly and, you know, it's your world. You become your world. Mm-hmm. And um, so we did what they call ABA um, applied behavior analysis. We did pragmatics. We did occupational therapy. We did social skills therapy. We did, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> we did it all. And anything I could possibly think of, I would talk constantly, you know, be involved in if there was any kind of um convention that came to town I was trying to find out what more I could do (laughs) diets (laughs) gluten-free you know you do it all it it starts in the gut and I still believe that um for what behavior and how your body feels um so so many things we got tossed into and um and it took not everyone can do this though but we were able to and it it took a full-time it was my it became a full-time job sure and it was planning and and because he was seven at the time, I felt like it was a window of time that I only had. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what was going to happen. So I wanted to make sure that window was used productively. I, I wanted it to, you know, I, I only had this small. Everybody kept saying, oh, he'll be fine. He'll be fine. You know, you're such a good mom. But what I was looking at was not only this little seven year old in front of me, but I was looking to have. How are we going to allow him to be a productive citizen? Because I know it can happen. And I know this sounds talking about movies. Um, it, it's so ironic that that's the path that Signal has chosen because at the time there was a movie by Temple Grandin that had him yeah. mm-hmm. And again, I don't know that I'd ever watched the movie if it had not been for his diagnosis, but. We were turned on to that movie, so said you should watch Temple Grandin. I said Temple, who? you know, so we're we're finally watching it. And again, like you mentioned, the time frames when people were diagnosed with autism, um, you know, they called it the cold refrigerator mom syndrome, where you know you you d- yeah. give your enough attention to your child, and uh-huh. um, but he. As I watched her, I've remembered a lot of things and I thought, oh my goodness, she reminded me so much of Samuel, some of the you know behaviors and everything. And I was like, oh, it just it stunned, but it also opened my eyes and what she had accomplished. I mean, this is a true story of this woman that I just admired and what she had come through and everything. I thought, I we can do this. Yeah. We can do this. Yeah. what's amazing about her story is that. It, she found her
0: niche, as they say. Yes. Uh, because of her sensitivity and, and her sensory differences. And she she could understand the animals, you know, and what they went through when they were being slaughtered. And uh, that sounds terrible,
1: but that's that's oh, what she, it was animal science. Well, one of the things we were told, it was in the in the conference when we were going through everything, is um, Dr. Gargis said, You know, I'm going to let you know he may not show empathy. He may not want to be touched. He might, you know, that these are certain things you're going to have to accept to understand that's coming in your world possibly. Well, it, this is all part of that sensory um, world. Say how high sensory, but mine seeks sensory. He's not one of those that doesn't want to be touched. He wants to be touched. He wants to be squeezed. And so mm-hmm. when we watched the temple grandin and she had found out how it calmed the cattle with the squeezing machine, I said, oh, that's Samuel. That's Samuel. Yeah. And so we would wrap a jacket around him and tie it backwards and we would hold it almost like a, a jacket, you know, and um, to, to squeeze him with. And he liked that deep pressure. I had no idea that's what that was. Um, So he constantly craved hugs. He wanted hugs. And that's why I kept telling my doctor. I said, I told his doctors that he wants to be hugged. He he can't have enough. And she said, that's sensory. Mm. And so even today we had to teach what's really sad is teaching your child when they get into elementary school and so forth and especially high school why they can't hug just anybody (laughs) Um, you have to teach to teach a young man not to hug because of the world around them and what people will take from it Mm -hmm. um there's so many rules and there's so many rules they don't understand um but he constantly craves hugs and so we've had to learn that that's a deep pressure that he wants for sensory And I'm I'm grateful for it, because I think if I had the choice of a child that doesn't want to be touched rather than one that wants to be held all the time, I I, I think I'd rather have what we have. (laughs) He's a very loving individual. And he with the empathy part, um, with all of these different therapies, we came in touch with the Chattanooga Autism Center. Mm -hmm. And through that, there were different um, resources that we received and different families that we were introduced to. And at that point, they had paused with a cause. And it was the first time that um, this particular company was going to attempt doing service dogs with autism children. And now that we were in a place where we weren't moving around everywhere and so forth in the military, we had always talked about wanting a pet. But I just didn't think it would be right to, you know, in my opinion, to move around everywhere. But by this time we were settled and I thought, okay, well, sounds interesting. Well, We did it. We, we went through the whole process and got signed up for a service dog with Paws for the Cause. And it was the first pilot program. They took 10 families and did a pilot program and we were blessed to be picked as one of them. Mm -hmm. So we went all the way up to, um, Michigan, Wayland, Michigan, and, um, on spring break during second grade, (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm. And we uh, received our first service animal and was trained for you know how to handle everything and what to do and so forth. And we were there. It was three families at the one t- point. They took three families at a time. We were the one family out of the three that it worked. because okay. there certain criteria and everything you have to meet, and it can be from your home life to uh, sometimes the children don't work out with the animals, you know. Um, so there's different situations that keep it from working or not working. What kind of dog was it? Um, well, and that's the other part. Remember that part I told you about that he might not possibly show empathy, where I might not show love and care or understand what that even means. Mm-hmm. Um, our first dog was a uh, golden retriever. Her name was Nugget. <laughs> And we were so excited over because he wanted a little girl dog so bad he couldn't stand it. He said, "I hope I get a girl dog. I hope I get a girl dog." And so we did, we came home. we were thrilled with her. everything was perfect. And then she became allergic to everything. Um, oh. She had been raised up in uh, Michigan, and so bringing her down to Georgia. She was exposed to different things she had never been exposed to here. So she wound up being allergic to our grass. She became allergic to our trees. Oh, <laughs> um, so we did allergy tests because we tried everything and they said she would have to live on steroids the rest of her life and so forth and wouldn't be able to perform the duties that she was taught. Mm-hmm. So that empathy part is where it comes in because we had to speak to Samuel because he already formed an attachment with her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he didn't know quite what to do with it. And so he went in, got a box of tissues when we were telling him and he got a radio. And at the time, oh, my goodness, I hit um, a picture of you is the name of the song. And I'm trying to think of the name of the band, but it was a lot of CD we'd had. And so he brought the radio, put it on the table, put the box of tissues, put a picture of Nugget in front of him and played the song. And he sat there and looked like he uh, he's going to be so embarrassed I tell this, but looked like he was having a bowel movement, trying to look like it because he was he was just, you know, doing this with his fists and squeezing his eyes. And I said, Samuel, what are you doing? He said, I know I'm supposed to feel something and I don't know what this is. But I see people cry and I think that's what I'm supposed to do. And so finally, he squeezed one or two little tears out. And he knew that's what it was supposed to feel like. And I saw then my son was going to have empathy. I saw then because of that dog, because of that moment. So it's in our storms, they say that we see the rainbows. And, you know, at that moment time, it gave me even more hope. And so when we told him the situation, they said, well, what do you want to do? Do you want to not, you know, move forward or we, we can try another dog? You know, and I said, well, I don't know. You know, this has just been such a, a crazy situation. And um, I said we're willing, we'll, and we think it should be done as fast as possible. You know, because okay. that way we can keep that connection going and move forward. Vermont, did. did you have the nugget? Uh, we had her for about six months. Oh, okay, um, less than um, yeah. probably a little, maybe even a little long, but enough for attachment. You know, because we went through the training, yeah. we made a big deal about going up to you know what we were doing, and. You know, it was a huge family affair, right? She mm-hmm. she had been welcome to the family. Everybody was, you know, all the entire family, even my, you know, my parents and my, you know, and so forth. Well, I have mm-hmm. a gold retriever, and they're very sweet. So oh, she sure. was, yes.
0: <laughs> no, Lyron is a jerk sometimes. He's always <laughs> yeah. you
1: no. Know, well, and, and it was our our time experience, and Samuel with a, with really an animal. I mean, it it was yeah. yeah. We had, no, we had a cat. No, we'll go this. But I didn't, I didn't, we got a uh, a cat from the, the pound, the rescue cat. Mm-hmm. And we did have a cat, but the cat wasn't a dog. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no. We weren't cats, that. we don't you, right? Yeah. Um, but not it being, a, the way they had trained her, Um, it's unbelievable the training they went through with this dog. It's just mm-hmm. They taught them how to if if they want to sleep with the children for deep um you know for that deep pressure um for motor skills to play games with them um just on and on communication because when he was out he had to speak to people because they would say, "Oh what a beautiful dog you have and so You know, there are pros and cons because then people want to say, oh, well, what's the dog for? (laughs) You know, because (laughs) I want want to know what does the dog do for your kid? And so, you know, they don't realize you're you're they're asking you to say all the challenges that your child has in front of your child. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit of advice there, folks. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Service dog, mind your own business. (laughs) They always always want to pet them. And so, you know, also, please don't pet for the safety of their training, you know. Um, But so moving forward, it was less than 48 hours, possibly, because uh, flew another dog in. And his name was Flash. Um, And he was a Labrador. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. He's in Labrador. And when he got here, I wasn't sure what to expect because Nugget was so calm and sweet. My little girl, right? Well, our representative pulled Flash out of the car and he was everywhere and he was just so excited. <laughs> and I said, Oh my goodness. I said, He's so much like Samuel. I don't know if it's this good idea. So, um, but as he got, you know, uh, acclimated with our home and we had to do the training, um, Flash wound up being with us for almost 12 years. And um, we chose not to have Flash go to school with him on an everyday basis, but to help transitioning phases. Like he went to middle school with him to help show lockers and go down the hallway. And, you know, so he could talk because he would tell Flash things that he wouldn't tell us. He would have conversations with him and tell him anything. So the one thing about Flash was children that are on the spectrum, and, and I want to say not everybody can't do this, but they tend to hyper-focus on certain things and they want to talk about something over and over and over and over.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Sano loves a an Asian show called Kamen Rider. And it's a very beginning kind of show of Power Rangers. He truly got fixated on that show And he could tell you every detail. He can tell you who does everything with it. And when I say everything, everything. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And, you know, that causes trouble with communication skills with your peers, with anybody. And so Samuel became very focused on that. And he couldn't understand why nobody would want to carry on that conversation with him. He could carry it on all day long with Flash and Flash would listen. So those were the wonderful things. I mean, it was just unbelievable. He found, you know, an animal that loved him and accepted him and didn't judge him, didn't care, and he would listen to him for hours. Well,
0: I live with my two dogs, and and they listen to me. Oh yeah, Yeah, and of
1: course. When I sing, they don't judge me. <laughs> right. They don't. I mean, there's so much I did go on about a whole episode about Flash, but um, then that whole empathy part comes in again because Flash, um, their particular breed, they tend to have trouble with their joints and so forth. So over time, um, that's what happened. Um, Flash's legs wound up, um he wound up almost paralyzed, basically. And so we had to make that decision of what to do. And that was a discussion by that time. It was, um, you know, of course, we'd gone through COVID and everything, you know, all this stuff and bonded. And so, you know, we're home, you know, 24 and, seven and it's just, you know, us. Well, so after that point, and I'm so thankful we had flashed through all of that because Samuel had him. And so by the end of that time, it was the summer right before his senior year in high school. And we had to make the decision. And luckily, we were able to have a vet come out and be able to put flash asleep here at home. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And so we prepared for that. And there's all kind of different things that we did with that. But the biggest thing, again, was I looked back and not only, you know, the beginning of these dogs, I just can't believe um, how much care and love. And things that took place with that dog for my son Mm -hmm. um, that I couldn't have ever done if we had not made that choice um so and he said
0: air um yeah i mean I, it's very hard to talk about dogs especially if you've ever put a dog down it's oh um, yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, when uh, how is going to high school let's talk about some transition points
1: okay um well man go oh, um May I speak a little bit about middle school and then oh, yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> um, first of all, we have an amazing and very supportive school system. And I, I don't if it's okay, we have Catoose County. Yes. School system. I, uh, that. County schools, I absolutely love and because I did choose to make this um my everyday uh, mission. Mm-hmm. I chose to get very involved in PTO and so forth and volunteering. And I became a mentor for our county as well, because I knew the other children could also use the help and the teachers and so forth. So I got very involved in the school system. So his entire elementary school, I got to be a a part of it all the time. And so by middle school, that's a transition for both of us because middle school mommy doesn't go and help volunteer usually, you know? So he was going into a world that was going to change with not even seeing mom around all the time. And now he's in a whole nother world. And we're also in a strange environment of, um, social skills. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So that was, that was, um, middle school was difficult because he didn't understand all the social cues of things and Mm -hmm. had the difficult times with, because he was, again, the other thing singles uh, was, um, IQ wise, he's never had a concern. He's a very intelligent young man and he's done very well. And he was put in a gifted program and elementary tested in it and so forth. And they thought that would be a great idea, which it was. Um, and so by middle school, he was still in the gifted program, but um, it became a little more challenging because. He also because of uh, motor skills, his handwriting, He we also had to do handwriting therapy because the motor skills in his hands, was a difficult um, time for him to be able to try and write by just handwritten works. By that time, we were going into a transition of kids were starting to get um, Chromebooks. And so a lot of things were going digital. But he had those few teachers that weren't ready to do it. And so when he had accommodations for handwriting um, and he was in gifted programs, they weren't quite understanding. They couldn't understand that. It's almost like I wanted to say, well, this is just defiance, not, not um, an illness or, or a, mm-hmm. you know, it was like I could almost, somehow you could teach it out of them where you could, you know, there was a few, not many, but um, so that was hard and difficult because it's also a point where you're, you know, that fine line where you're trying to teach a young man to grow a little more and get prepared for high school, but they're still having trouble figuring out where they fit. And then on top of that, add ADHD and autism right so by the time we got to high school he was dreading the transition because he was scared he had heard stories and so anything um he would see on tv he would almost believe so I had to be careful about what he watched on television because that become real to him you know he no. thought he would uh it's almost like he would take behaviors from a television show and he thought that's how he would have to be um So he, you know, that's his way of understanding how he was supposed to to do things. And so I had to be really careful about what he would listen to, what he would watch. Um, Like even with the common writers and the Power Ranger kind of thing, I wanted to make sure he didn't think it was okay to kick people or punch people Mm -hmm. because everything is literal. Right. So if you see it, what everybody else is doing. That's an interesting thing. I had not thought of that that
0: um, their exposure to media that. I don't I don't know if it's is it a sense that he can't make the distinction
1: that that's play or just it's how he perceives it. When we did a lot of role playing as he grew up. So there were uh, social stories that we would have to do. And so role play became a huge part of what we had to teach. I'd say, okay, well, let's do scenario A or let's do scenario B. You know, let's let's do two takes and see what you think. And so we would constantly I mean, while people are doing their normal and and sports didn't become a thing either because of certain um, things that happened with Samuel. Also, he had issues with his feet um, and he had to wear AFOs um, for most of his life. He also had spasticity issues with his ankles and his feet. So by middle school though, we had run into another doctor that had offered to do surgery. And so we had that performed on his feet and he was able to get out of his braces But by that time, the milestones of young men when they are hitting a sports arena and trying to learn those things, that time it almost pretty much passed. And because he also wasn't still gross motor skills, were still not as coordinated as others. Um, He's the young man that will probably get beat up in a dodgeball game, you know, because you just don't have the coordination that some other kids do. Mm -hmm. So it's not fun for him. But he found his niche with music. So he joining course in middle school, and he loved it, and he's got an amazing voice. Mm-hmm. Um, so he did find that activity, but then by the time he got to high school, he wasn't sure how to get involved. So we decided to concentrate on academics. And by high school, when you are such a academically gifted individual, most of the time people will look at your grades and then they'll say, oh, Okay. And that's how they look at an IEP. They don't necessarily look at it as, oh, they're on the spectrum, Um, which is good and bad. Um, But there were a lot of social skills that didn't get. um, It's kind of like as long as they're not making any noise on the radar, they don't get they don't need any help because there's a that's true because there's other children that need more help than some. Mm -hmm. And I was also available. So, um, so I stayed actively involved, but as far as uh high school, it was a transitioning of understanding the social skills with how that world worked. And now let's throw the internet in, <laughs> don't even get me started on cell phones, oh, yeah, and social media. No, right. So, there's all also the mix of that, um, yeah, right. And then the one thing I did notice as Samuel grew, I was more concerned about you know, social skills, uh, pragmatics, uh, motor skills. But what I didn't realize was how much anxiety that these young people wind up having. Mm -hmm. And so his anxiety in high school was off the charts um, because he was trying to figure out what to do with all of these things now. And um, so we became... One of the concerns we had during high school years was just trying to deal with anxiety. Creativity shatters
0: boundaries. Our guest on Dialogues with Creators for this episode is a woman who has helped her son, and in so doing, has shattered misconceptions about what autism spectrum disorders are and what those with that diagnosis can achieve. Stay tuned.